0: Welcome to the Dr. Renee Fraser show, why women. We talk with other women who've been successful about ways they lead and succeed, and provide advice to those of you who are listening. Today, we're going to be talking about women who are driven to make change happen and to lead. You're going to hear from a commissioner on the Department of Water and Power and a woman who started a nonprofit to help with alternative care for cancer patients. Mia Lair was appointed to the Board of Water and Power Commission by Mayor Eric Garcetti in September 2020 and confirmed by the council, the city council, the L.A. Department of Water and Power reports into the L.A. city in October 2020. She is president and founder of Studio MLA. That's a landscape architecture firm, urban design, and planning practice dedicated to advocacy by design with a vision to improve quality of life through landscape. We're going to be talking to Mia about the purposeful way she guides her company and the impact she's had on the Department of Water and Power. Mia, before I introduce you, I've got to mention a few other wonderful things about you. You've served as an advisor to numerous public agencies, the Fine Arts Commission under President Barack Obama, the Los Angeles Cultural Heritage Commission, the Zoning Advisory Committee in Los Angeles. And I know that you've worked very hard in helping us look at revitalization of the river. Uh, The Los Angeles River, right Revitalization Master Plan, and also the 2020 Upper Los Angeles River and Tributaries Master Plan. Thank you for all the work you're doing for our community, Mia, and welcome to the Renee Frazier Show.
1: Thank you, Renee. Uh, I I appreciate uh, participating with you in this interview.
0: Well, thank you for doing this. I'd like you to reflect for a moment, Mia, and help our listeners understand. And I've emphasized women, but we have men who have daughters, wives, sisters who are learning as well. And they love to hear stories from the women on that are the change makers we highlight on the show. Mm -hmm. Thinking back over the years, what has made you successful?
1: I grew up in a small country uh, where I had uh, parents and community that were very uh, supportive of education and of exploration, um, are dedicated to um, how you live in in a community, how you give back, um, the 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 wonderful na- natural. Uh, features of the tropics, in in my case, which is El Salvador, um, the lakes, the volcanoes, the enormous enormous trees that hosted, you know, all sorts of birds and other wildlife. Um, it was a you know an, an awesome uh, sort of experience and upbringing. Um, my parents were very dedicated to Mm -hmm. um, giving back to the community by establishing uh, uh, with a group of friends, a couple of nonprofits, before nonprofits were really, you know, sort of a a part of the overall um, spectrum of activities. So one was one to save the environment, Salva Natura, um, the other one was for affordable housing, and the third one was for microloans for women. Oh, my. So that brings me back to women. My, right. mother, my mother was very um, supportive of, uh, of women as in, and women in business and education, um, making sure that people could re- learn how to read and write, and uh, that then they had an opportunity to help the household, so to speak.
0: So it started early in your life. Uh, your parents yeah, really yes. shaped your, your vision. But tell me about landscape architecture. It sounds like the environment you grew up in was beautiful and lush in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. What inspired your love of kind of shaping the landscape for people?
1: So um, obviously, it's, it's a profession that's not so wasn't at the time and is is still not really um. As well recognized as, as it can should be, because it's um, so relevant with the issues of our times. So really, I um, I was interested in something associated with with the um, with the urban scape. Let's say. So I worked for an architect for a summer um, drawing parking lots, and I found that so not interesting.
0: Boring <laughs> parking lots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god! Parking lots for affordable housing projects, at least that's what it was. But, um, you know, we, I, at one point, um, there was a little civil war in, in El Salvador, in Central America. And my father, my parents concluded that we had to, you know, basically go to college um, and, and uh, leave, leave the the sort of tumult that was growing in the civil war. And um, I went to Tufts university and uh, one of my first encounters with the net, you know, actual understanding of the planning of the natural environment was a geology class. And my geology professor was like my, I just found it so interesting how he explained um, how mountains and mountain ranges got formed millions of years ago, or you know the relationship uh, topographically uh, to the ocean, or to lakes, or to rivers. And in in that time and during that period, that I was you know at Tufts University, I also learned about urban planning. Um, Kevin Lynch, uh, who's a well-known writer was Mm -hmm. writing about the cities and the different cities in the world and how they were different and what, you know, how important it is to actually uh, not have only uh, networks of streets that really took you places and brought you together, but also um, the idea of parks and, and having places for respite and right. or, plaza, or plazas, for example, if you were uh-huh. in Europe, right?
0: Green so, spaces, right? The people yes, can enjoy. Yeah, exactly. It. From the
1: built environment. So I understood that there was this this profession that did built environment, and then I knew geology, and then um, we the the this, three of the universities were doing a program called environmental design, and uh, there were lecture series, and I went to one lecture series, and saw an exhibit at. The Graduate School of Design at Harvard of the of the designs for the competition of Central Park. Uh And they had all they had all the documents um, given to them by the Olmstead Foundation. And I looked at that and I think I went to the librarian and I said, what profession is that? (laughs) And she said, well, those, you know, this is landscape architecture. And if you go up to the fourth floor, you'll meet the right person who teaches that. And so really it was this incredible gift on the part of our, and and an opportunity that I was blessed to have with where my father and my mother decided they're going to do everything possible to get us educated in America. And um, I, you know, and, and there was a a very fervent fertile time about issues of the environment. Um, Ian, you know, there was uh, a, Ian McCarg had and others have written had written interesting books about nature and how to be, you know, how to be kind to nature. Um, and, uh, you know, was the, the, the Beatles were singing the right songs. Um, and, uh, right.
0: right. And, uh, we have to uh, pave a, a paradise with the parking lot. We certainly learned uh, that the environment is important. Mia, we're at a break period. Uh-huh. Mia Lair, thank you so much for telling us kind of a, about your pathway there. Uh-huh. It's interesting how those experiences all add up and can direct you for your own pathway and career that you didn't even expect or know that it existed. Uh-huh. With, you're listening to the Renee Fraser Show. In our next section, Mia, I'm going to share with you a personal experience I had where landscape architecture, the environment around me influenced how I felt about cancer. And I, I really feel the environment says, sends so many signal to us to us mm-hmm. that landscape architecture plays a subtle and a kind of subconscious role in our lives. Mm-hmm. So please stay tuned. We'll be talking with Mia Lair, who's the president and founder of Studio MLA and serves on the board of the Department of Water and Power. Welcome back to the Renee Frazier Show. Why Women? We're talking with Mia Lair, who started her own company, Studio MLA, a landscape architecture and urban design firm that really fashions advocacy by design. And we'll talk more about that. Mia, we were talking about growing up and the experiences that contributed to you taking on this career and this path. And I clearly heard that your mother's work was a good reason why you give back and why you're purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. But frankly, that's the same thing for me. My mom volunteered and guided the community in lots of different ways as a volunteer. And I, I learned how important it was to uh, listen to and be a part of the community and give back. Uh, and uh, as success was coming my way, I realized The the burden is even bigger, right? You've got to think through how can I help others? How can I become an advocate for others? Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about how the environment shapes the way we feel. Mm -hmm. Uh, About uh, 20 years ago, my father came down with lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the oldest child in the family, I really helped my mom deal with this. And we had no idea. Uh, He'd been ill for some time, but we had no idea it was cancer and discovered it when they did a procedure. Uh, it was a shock to us. And I'll never forget, it was uh, uh, at a hospital where I, I uh, was so traumatized by it and and the weight of it. Uh, I, I remember going outside and sitting by myself quietly in the garden. And I, I left the, uh, the atmosphere of the garden, the smells. I tried to go inside and just try to find some solace and some strength. And uh, of course, memories of my dad. But I had to I had to be strong. I realized I had to fight back the tears and I had to step up, at least for the time being, and go back into the hospital with my dad and my mom. And I attribute the environment to giving me some of that strength, allowing me to go inside and kind of feel I was part of something bigger than myself. I I don't know how to express it any better than that. But can you relate to that uh, in the landscape work, work you do and the environments you create for people?
1: Yes, I can relate to that tremendously. Having worked in in the inner city on projects in areas where there's not very many parks, um, and uh, and in in, in, air, in infrastructural you know quarters like the L.A. River, uh, where one has to imagine the possibilities, um, work with people to imagine and, so, and understand the possibilities, but also then bring them to to bear. And uh, I can think in particular uh, experience of um, Vista Hermosa Park, nine acre park overlooking downtown Los Angeles. It was uh, purchased um, as part of a large site for LAUSD. They didn't need the whole property and therefore a deal was struck um, to lease for 99 years, not part of the Santa Monica Mountains Conservancy, for a project that was a window to the mountains for oh, the urban community. Wow. And the pleasure I get 12, 15 years later, every time I visit, not only from the beginning of the of uh creating the the, the design with, with the community, but also like making it come to life, where you know you would have uh plantings, um, together with the community over time. Uh, and then now as I go back uh, periodically and I see the picnics and weddings and yoga classes. And, oh, wow. and just the notion of being able to take some respite and two particular experiences for me. One is an area that's like amphitheatrical with boulders and trees where there's church services every Sunday, like two or three different denominations do these small services. And the other is my friend who became my friend, uh, one of the uh, gang members who was uh, everybody was afraid of. And there were three gangs in the area. Uh And he started out being a little uh, sort of off-putting and cold. And when he realized what we were doing, he became our ally. Uh-huh. And it's been a safe place for everybody for all these years and he does exercise there at the picnic tables and he goes around and the, all he partakes in a meaningful way and he watches you know making sure things are okay and right. just sitting there and watching people enjoy but then also watching a, a, a park, grow like the urban forest you planted actually grow and yes and is so it's it's so first of all it i i still need those kinds of experiences but it's particularly satisfying to to have been a part of the creation of of a space like that and watching i love that people
0: Love that story. Once there was nothing and now there's so much life and happiness happening in that environment. And you created that. That's a wonderful example. And I think we both know that that's what your life comes down to, right? What's the impact you've had on people's lives? And in this case, uh, so many positive things and to bring together you know, to to engage with a gang member who now wants to protect it and sees it as part of his community. I love it. You know, I'd be uh, be remiss if I didn't turn to what you're accomplishing with the commission. LA Department of Water and Power serves so many people in our community. Uh And we've been through this tough time of COVID. And Uh I know that the Department of Water and Power has really reached out to the community to be helpful. But let me ask you to highlight some things that you're accomplishing with the commission.
1: Well, you know, the commission uh, over the last couple uh, two years has uh, finished some really important work um, associated with uh, uh, some, uh, a, basically, the LA 100 uh, study that they did, um, and uh, Operation Next, and some of the, some of the work is associated with ways of rationalizing and using uh, new thinking but new technology for water and water conservation and also power and power you know uh, basically using power in a in a in a way that's really associated with resiliency and you know, hopefully, allowing us uh, to sort of succeed in, in keeping the communities thriving in in the region. And like so, that. whether it's wind power or in, you know, sort of solar power, and with, and what we do in the reclamation plants with the water, and, and how we use uh, some of the uh, some of the funds um, to actually, for example, in the in the Tujangra spreading grounds. Uh, we are, you know, we are you. You're, we're going with Measure W. We're creating a series of um, water retention areas that are some of which already exist, but we're making them deeper and creating planting trees and creating walkways and paths. So it's not a one-off or one solution for an area that you know, but it's all, it's a multi-benefit set of solutions for an area. And we've been working with the city, city plants, um, one of the city departments to actually uh, work with them to offer trees to the community, uh, both fruit, fruiting trees, but also shade trees and really pushing forward the agenda of shade and how important shade is for pedestrians, for cyclists, for just keeping the temperature down. Right. Uh, but also cleaning the air. I mean, you yes they're our friends, they clean air, you know.
0: Absolutely. And I can see what you've done is, unfortunately, there are many more trees in affluent areas than there are in underserved areas. So you're you're compensating for that. It sounds like Department of Water and Power is really showing both respect for the environment, the climate and our communities and all the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to have to wrap up soon. So I'd like to ask you if you could give us any piece of advice or comment on how you think women are making a difference when they lead organizations like the Department of Water and Power Commission?
1: So, um, I think that women bring a, 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 a sense of compassion and, and maybe it's you know a maternal instinct uh, towards men and women. You know, there's just this instinct. Of you know, trying to s- solve problems and be kind, uh, be kind to the earth, and and yet because we've been marginalized at times, um, it, you know, you you have to balance ambition in order to be able to be effective, right? Good point. And You're right. As a
0: leader, you have to be ambitious,
1: and, and so but- you have to measure yourself. I think in a way. That is, you know, you're still you're still coming across as a you know as a are well, coming across as a professional who cares who, who really wants to solve problems, and you developed a, I th- you developed I think a sense of um, uh, uh, an approach at times that is um, very it is a, a, a no nonsense approach. Right, right. It's like we just gotta get it done. Get it done. Get, you yeah, got gotta get it done. We we just have to do it. And and actually it was um, for me. And and then there's a the camaraderie. You're all women. Uh, you, you share things in common, and there's a camaraderie that happens in a, on a board like this that can be very can make us more effective. But I also think it's important to note that especially in my upbringing, and that was as much my father, if it was my mother's, you can do it. You can do it. And we're just expecting you to go as far as you think you can go. And however, you know, however you're going to do it, just persevere. So perseverance became, you know, the mantra, just do it, go there, get it done. And I, I think growing up in small countries where your parents are doing multiple things and people are very, um, you know, very industrious, um, it, it 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 makes a difference. It's like there was never like, no, that's not, no, that's not possible. Not not being able to get there is not not it's is not a. An it's option. not an option. I it's hear not an you. Option. You can I- do it.
0: You've got it. I love that, Mia. Great uh-huh. advice to our listeners. Uh-huh. Uh, thank you so much, Mia Lair. This has been a fascinating interview. Mia is the president and founder of Studio MLA and serves on the L.A. Department of Water and Power Commission. If you're listening to The Renee Frazier Show, as we've been talking with change makers, women who are leading and succeeding. Welcome to the Dr. Renee Fraser show. This is our show called Why Women. I'm Dr. Renee Fraser, a social psychologist and advertising marketing person. I founded and run Fraser Communications, but my real passion is helping women, advocating for women and helping women lead and succeed. So the Dr. Renee Frazier show is all about successful women and issues that women face in our daily lives. I have found that sharing information about resources and tips can help women to find ways out of their own issues and help women step into leadership roles. Often women wait for success before they decide to lead. And I think that's a mistake. I think women think differently and bring compassion and collaboration to whatever they take on. And today we're going to be talking with the leader of a clinic that helps women, particularly women of color, women in underserved communities with health in the area of cancer we've talked about cancer treatments before we know how difficult they can be for women and this is an interesting clinic that helps women survive and thrive in cancer treatment in an unusual way we're going to be talking with the executive director of the charlotte maxwell clinic melba watts melba welcome to the dr renee frazier show Oh,
2: great. Thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Melba, I'm curious about how you got started at the organization. How long have you been at the uh, Charlotte Maxwell Clinic? What's your background that got you there? Then we'll talk about what the clinic does.
2: Certainly. I became affiliated with Charlotte Maxwell Clinic in 2013. After about twenty years in nonprofit management, I decided to do something different to shift my interest to wellness and holistic development, and became a volunteer at Charlotte Maxwell Clinic. And um, after a few years, was asked to be on the board, and then in 2020 had the opportunity to become the executive executive director.
0: Oh, goodness. You stepped in during the COVID period, which is interesting. Yes, right, before it. Let's let's talk about what does the clinic do, and then tell me a little bit about how the the clinic was started, the Charlotte Maxwell Clinic. I'm sure there's a a story about Charlotte Maxwell in there.
2: Oh, yes, there is. Um, The inspiration behind the clinic is a woman by the name of Charlotte Maxwell herself, She was a progressive woman, had an indomitable spirit, whose life demonstrated this saying um, that if you can help somebody, then your life won't be in vain. Uh, Charlotte had devoted her life to helping others as a social worker and a public health director during the 60s, 70s, 80s, and recognized the value of bringing multiple disciplines together to address social and health needs. She became diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 1987 and using her background put together her own multidisciplinary team of Mm. complementary health practitioners to Mm. supplement her conventional care. Mm -hmm. So these were women practitioners who specialized in acupuncture, herbal medicine, massage, guided imagery, and hospice care. And um, with so much loving support that she received She expressed her hope that one day low-income women with cancer would be able to receive the same level of care to ease their suffering. After her passing in 1988, several women, including those who had cared for her, came together and co-founded the clinic in her name, uh, specializing in offering complementary therapies.
0: Wow, what a wonderful story, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, what a remarkable woman. You know, it's amazing how women put their minds to it, right? I think it was Margaret Mead yep. who said, never underestimate the power of a small group of women, few women together. Yep. We can make changes right. happen in remarkable ways, and uh, that's fabulous. Now, I think we should talk about what integrative care is, and so I think you've just defined a little bit of it, right? It's acupuncture, other kinds of treatment. Give me kind of the the medical definition, if you will, of integrative care and integrative health.
2: Certainly. Well, way back then, uh, when it first uh, got started, it was just a matter of offering complementary therapies to women, Um And today, that approach of combining um, effective and safe complementary therapies with standard medical treatment is called integrative care. Uh, It includes, as I mentioned, acupuncture, herbs, massage, guided imagery, occupational and physical therapy, and nutritional education.
0: Right, so it's a, it's a holistic uh, perspective on, on health. And let's talk about how that interacts with people when they're being treated with cancer. I think many of us know about these kinds of treatments for wellness and well being, but how does it interact when someone's undergoing cancer treatment?
2: Well, integrating complementary therapies in the cancer treatment and recovery process has been shown to help reduce pain heal the immune system, reduce the harmful effects of chronic stress and trauma, and build resiliency. And this translates to increased rates of survival and quality of life. Um, I like to think of integrative care as the opportunity for the highest attainable health during the cancer journey. Or during any health journey, but in this case, the cancer journey. You
0: know, it makes a, a great deal of sense. I, um, about uh, 12 years ago, had thyroid cancer and had to go through radioactive uh, treatment uh, uh, and uh and surgery and I, I remember that guided imagery was a really important part of my healing process seeing myself yeah. as a whole person healthy happy mm-hmm. uh, envisioning myself in situations that gave me kind of a uh obviously hope right is is mm-hmm. that what is that tell me a little bit about the kind of work that's done just so we can imagine what it's like
2: yes it's really um about treating the whole person the mind the body uh, and the spirit of the person and that was the thing that really um, as a volunteer Mm -hmm. i felt like i got more out of uh, working with my clients than even they did and Mm -hmm. i've heard this from so many of the volunteers that um, being able to sit there with a client and listen to them and be able to address in fact one client said to me oh i thought what you guys did was only physical i didn't know that it would help me to you know feel better and and help my mental state and that kind of thing so it's really about um being present uh for the person right um sometimes they don't want to be touched sometimes they There are other issues going on. Just because they have cancer doesn't mean that's the only thing that that's going on in their lives. True. Maybe they have family issues or other issues. Maybe they're afraid. And so it's an opportunity for them to um, share those feelings um, and have them addressed in a constructive and positive and effective way.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. You know, being able to share your feelings and know that uh, someone's willing to listen is important. I know mm-hmm. that the focus of the clinic is also on low-income women, right? And they already have limitations in terms of access to health care. Um, can you talk about why that is? We've talked about it on this show. My firm does outreach and education efforts uh, about health and for public health as well as for health uh, hospital. So I'm familiar mm-hmm. with some of these issues, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. You're, you're based in Oakland. Is that right? Yes, we are. What, um, do, what we do you are see, here, right, in terms of the mm-hmm. limitations or uh, uh, obstacles to getting access to health care for women? Well,
2: um, certainly we know that there are disproportionate numbers of black, indigenous, and people of color living below the national poverty level. hmm so, for example, um, living in areas where there's um, high pollution, uh, air or water pollution, in food deserts without access to healthy produce, in other neighborhoods where there's just a lot of stress. It's, it doesn't feel safe. And so, these things together with family histories can uh, create the right environment if you will for cancer to to happen yes and um, there's also just the underlying discrimination um, that reduces access to early detection and appropriate high-quality treatment including cancer care All right. depending on where you go you may have different approaches different you know some may be more advanced some may be older Approaches, But then the other thing just has to do with having access to integrative care, whereas standard care is covered by insurance and even uh, Medi-Cal, complementary therapies are not. And so this would necessitate out-of-pocket expenses.
0: Oh. Low-income
2: women, um, certainly um, they may not even be aware of the range and benefits of holistic care as part of their cancer treatment. Uh, enough to even ask for it. So um, we support their right to the highest attainable health by providing free access to these complementary therapies, which we feel completes their care.
0: I think it's very smart to be able to offer integrative and and it's like the word integrity, right? Integrative mm-hmm. health uh, to women uh, in, in these circumstances. I, I want to learn more about how women can even get access to this and how they can learn about it and how it gets paid for. But let's talk about that in the next segment. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier show. We're talking about Integrative health care, and that means holistic health care, something many of us know is important as we strive for wellness and to be our vital selves. But it's even more important when people are faced with cancer treatment. It depletes your immune system. It takes you down in terms of depression. It can have so many impacts on your life and on that of your family. It's important to be able to have resources that can lift your spirits and help you Feel more fully that whole person. So we're talking with the executive director of the Charlotte Maxwell Clinic. Stay tuned to learn how women can get access to free services at a clinic like this. To the Dr. Renee Fraser show. Why women? We're talking about health care for women in the holistic sense. And we're talking with Melba Watts, who's the executive director of the Charlotte Maxwell Clinic. Melba, we were just talking about the fact that uh, health care is, is covered by Medi-Cal, so low-income women get access to health care, although sometimes that access is limited, and we can talk more about some of the prejudgments or prejudice that affects the kind of care that women get. Before we do that, though, I'd like to talk more about holistic treatment that the, uh, the clinic offers. And you were telling me that MediCal does not cover this kind of holistic treatment acupuncture, nutrition, et cetera. Tell me more about that.
2: Yes, because um, Medi-Cal does not pay for complementary therapies. And there uh, for regular insurance, there may be very limited um, coverage for occasional, you know, some uh, acupuncture. But beyond that, it is not paid for. It's part of that uh, health and wellness industry, a billion-dollar industry, Mm -hmm. that people pay out of pocket for.
0: That's expensive. That really can be very costly. Now, at your clinic, people get access and low income. How how, how is this funded?
2: So we are funded through donations of people who understand what we do and um, care about, you know, the kind of services, you know, what we offer and um that's basically it so through grants, we also apply for grants oh, good so for individual you.
0: donations, good for you um, yeah, foundations grants
2: that's but wonderful no government
0: wonderful, mm-hmm. and you've been able to sustain it. I think that's terrific. you know you mentioned um, uh, we've talked a little bit about some of the care acupuncture, uh, visioning, nutrition, right, and uh, tell me some stories of people who've been through the clinic. And how they felt wellness as a result of this, love to hear some of okay. the stories.
2: Yes, yes. Well, just to put it in context, what we do it's really it's all about easing our clients' pain. So whether it's through massage, acupuncture, herbs, or whatever that modality it is that we offer, the guided imagery, it's about trying to to ease their pain. Um, chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery cause side effects uh, that range from neuropathy, tingling and numbness in mm-hmm. uh, the hands and feet to lymphedema, swelling of the arms and legs to nausea, fatigue, and more. So um, I'll tell you the story of one person, Patria, who was diagnosed with breast cancer. And when she first arrived and uh, at Charlotte Maxwell, after having had a mastectomy and chemotherapy, she had this to report. When I arrived at Charlotte's, I felt as though I had been shell-shocked, manhandled, and was quite disillusioned. But once at Charlotte's, I found warmth and humanity that I hadn't felt in months. I'm very thankful for the referral to Charlotte's, the extremely caring customer service, individualized care. The convenience of weekend hours and supplemental organic fruits and vegetables have been most helpful mm-hmm. and greatly appreciated. Mm. And Pytra is doing well after five years. Um, oh. you know, a survivor of five after five
0: years. That's great. Um, That's really great. Mm-hmm. You know what i what I know about uh, cancer treatment from my friends and my experience is it's quite lonely. You know you, uh, mm-hmm. and and I mm-hmm. think often as women we don't like to complain to others, uh, so we feel like we take it on ourselves, and uh, it's easy too when you feel when you've uh, when you're treated for cancer, you almost feel like you've you're. Um, uh, you've been selected. You've been a victim. You you are sh- you're suffering, and I think in in some cases, just having a person who will who will talk to you and hold your hand and says it's okay to feel bad is also part of it. Do you find that mm-hmm. that people just want to talk through their stories and maybe even the issues they're facing at home?
2: Oh, absolutely, yes. Our um, appointments. Pre-COVID had been 50 minutes. Now they're reduced down to 40 to 45 minutes just because we have to make sure that we're cleaning and all that kind of stuff. The the clinic had uh, services, in-person services had been suspended uh, during COVID, and um, so we quickly put together an online Zoom wellness series. Uh, We had our practitioners to uh, kind of adapt their modalities to be able to offer something um, initially to a group later one-on-one. But um, that initial group, it was so interesting that as they came on that and were able to see each other and converse. And of course, some of them were friends before, but just to be able to feel that sense of community. And and we offered check-in for, you know, regular weekly check-ins for them so that they could just come and talk about what was going on and share some things. And it's just so amazing that um, from week to week, there could be a theme, you know, like this week's theme was dealing with the kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> or, right, this, right. or the next week's theme was, um, uh, whatever the pain that they were experiencing or mm-hmm. whatever that was. And so um, there was there definitely was a synergy there. And um and so we now that we have reopened the clinic to in-person services, we are continuing our Zoom wellness series so that the women can come together and And share with each other and and know that they are not alone.
0: Right. You're serving uh, as a connector, right, and creating connections Mm -hmm. for the women where Mm -hmm. they can share their stories and their resources. Uh, Do the women who go through the clinic ever come back and volunteer?
2: We have had a few people to do that. Um, I can't um, think of several off the top of my head, but I am aware that there have been good, a
0: few. Good, and I'm really glad. Even, it- if
2: they haven't been, even if they haven't been a client of the clinic, many of our volunteers um, have been touched
0: by cancer. I can imagine. So uh, uh, mm-hmm. do people volunteer, the masseuse and the acupuncture, are they paid staff or are they people who volunteer to offer those services pro bono?
2: No, they're they're all volunteers. Wow. We have we are very fortunate, I think, here in the Bay Area to have um, such a plethora of um, complementary health practitioners. And um, and so they're, you know, they're high quality, high level uh, certificated, they're licensed. And just out of their big heart, <laughs> um, they offer that compassion That's on uh, a volunteer basis. Wonderful. And, May and I ask, still, of course.
0: How, uh, the, uh, the people who volunteer, are most of them women? Oh, yes. They're all women. That's what I thought. It's a it's women's clinic. It's a women's clinic, mm-hmm. and all the professionals that come in and help are women as well. How many women yeah. come through the program in a typical year? How many women visit the clinic as patients? Mm-hmm. Before the
2: pandemic, we were seeing over 200, about 230 unduplicated clients. And operating three days a week, we were um, providing over 3,000
0: uh, appointments per year. Wonderful. That's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. How, let me ask you how people can volunteer. Do they go to the website? How is the be- what is the best way for people to make a donation or volunteer? Certainly.
2: Yes, the best way is to go to our website, which is www.charlottemaxwell.org www.CharlotteMaxwell, and press the donate button if you want to donate. And to volunteer, just go to uh, the top of the page to the Get Involved tab and uh, then completed volunteer applications.
0: That's great. Thank you, Melba Watts. This has been a mm-hmm. wonderful to hear your stories. You know, given the experience you have in this care world, holistic care, what advice would you give to our listeners to be strong and healthy in their own lives? Be strong and healthy. <laughs> <laughs> That's that easier so great. said.
2: You know, it's so interesting that um, this year the uh, for Women's History Month, the theme is women providing healing, promoting hope. That is the theme for the National Women's History Alliance, um, and it, I just feel that it's so apropos for um, uh, for for our clinic, and um, and certainly for your show. It's all about, we must find balance and um, be sure that we are taking. So balancing finding balance there's so many things that can distract us that can um, stir up stir us up That's in right. different ways and create anxiety um, and
0: stress absolutely
2: exactly and so the key thing using you know things like meditation or qigong or you know getting massage or whatever that might be for you some for some it's just getting out there in nature a lot of times we're prescribing. Get outside in nature. You know what is what is that calm? What is that calm feeling that you're experiencing right now? What does that remind you of? Right, being able to create that in your own mind. Water. Right, if go to the water. Mm-hmm. If it reminds you of the uh, the forest or the mountains, go go out there. There's so much that is there for us.
0: Absorb, absorb that. um, I totally get it. You know, the other thing I'm Mm -hmm. hearing from you, Melba, is having purpose in your life. Uh, You folks at Charlotte Maxwell Clinic have a wonderful purpose. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. I really have enjoyed it. This has been Melba Watts, who's the executive director of the Charlotte Maxwell Clinic in Oakland, California, where they supply holistic health, integrative health uh, to low-income women. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Fraser show. This is Renee Fraser. I'm a social psychologist as well as an advertising person. My firm, Fraser Communications, does health messaging and automotive messaging and product messaging and advertising. Uh, throughout the United States. You can find out more about us at com. As an advocate for women, I am excited about this show, the Dr. Renee Fraser Show, Why Women, as we highlight strong women and ways to lead and succeed. Thank you for listening. You can find our shows at the com website. Have a wonderful week ahead. Stay healthy. Find purpose in your life. And as Melba Watts said, Take in nature, be a part of the life that surrounds you, and enjoy.